On this episode of This Week in Linux, we've got some big distro news from the Linux Mint team, OpenSUSE, and there may be a way to have a rolling release of Ubuntu now. We've also got some Linux mobile news that's thanks to the team at XDA Developers for making it possible to put Ubuntu Touch from UbiPorts on a lot of Android devices. We're going to talk about a new Kickstarter that is going on right now to develop a Raspberry Pi-based tablet called CutiePie. In app news, we're going to talk about a new task manager app called Planner. And there are some changes coming to the Matrix client, Riot.im. We talked about that recently on Destination Linux, so you should check that out. But we're going to talk about this change that's coming, and it's much needed in my opinion. We've also got some odd news from Microsoft as they have decided to release an antivirus for Linux called Microsoft Defender ATP. And Apple recently announced they are dropping Intel for their own processor platform. We'll discuss how that relates to people wanting to run Linux on that hardware. And then we'll round out the show with some awesome Hummel bundles that are live right now. And there's a Python bundle that has me super excited. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Destination Linux Network and Tux Digital. And this is your weekly source for Linux Good News. This episode of This Week in Linux is made possible by the awesome people at DigitalOcean, because DigitalOcean is the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has over 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. And these cloud-agnostic tutorials are not even necessarily cloud-agnostic because they're just tutorials in general that are very helpful, and I've found uses for my desktop usage as well. So check those out if you are interested in learning anything about cloud. There's a lot of great tutorials on their website. And you can get started on DigitalOcean for two months for free with a $100 credit. That gives you options to run a bunch of different $5 droplets, or you can do their gigantic $50 or $100 droplets to see how much power you can get with those. If you want to just check it out, go to do.co slash DLN. Again, that's do.co slash DLN to get that $100 credit for two months for free at DigitalOcean. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. But first in the show this week, we have the latest release of Linux Mint, which is Linux Mint 20. And this edition has uh, Cinnamon, Mate, and XFCE options when using the Linux Mint 20. And there's actually a lot of cool stuff that's been added, one of which is the Warpinator. Mint's added this new app called Warpinator, and it's an interesting name for what it does. Also, I guess technically the re it's a re-implementation of Giver, which is also an interesting name for what it did, which is to have a pro provide an easy access for file sharing across a local network. And it also had like automatic computer discovery and a bunch of other stuff, but Giver was discontinued about 10 years ago. And Warpinator is essentially doing the same thing. And for those interested, the way it works is it uses or it has an encryption thing through an encryption certificate exchange for the file transfer. Even though it's doing it over a local network, I do like the fact that they have that included. Uh, so Warpinator is pretty interesting. The name is kind of weird, but there you go. They've also done improvements to their support for NVIDIA Optimus. 
The NVIDIA Prime applet now shows your GPU renderer. You can select which card to switch to straight from the menu of the applet, which is pretty cool. NVIDIA On-Demand Profile is now also fully supported. It allows you to offload a particular application to your NVIDIA card. And two new commands are available to offload the GLX or to Vulkan. And we'll have that information in the show notes. Uh, but there's also been improvements to Cinnamon DE. The performance of the Nemo file manager improved. Uh, they've actually prioritized the content and navigation. So one of the things that they did was they made it where uh, the thumbnails um, are, are making an issue of lagging while browsing. So they now... Uh, delay thumbnails loading to alleviate some of that lag. I mean, they, they could just uh, index the thumbnails would be a better option, but, you know, there's whatever. Uh, now it's possible to set a refresh rate in the display settings for some reason if you need to do that. I haven't had to do that in decades, but maybe for some reason you do. They've added uh, fractional scaling. It's been introduced in this latest version of Cinnamon, which I don't know for a fact, but probably is related to the fractional scaling that was created by GNOME. Uh, and also, because Cinnamon's a fork of GNOME, if you weren't aware of that, uh, they've done some system improvements. They have switched from the back end for apt URL from Synaptic to apt daemon. Uh, apt recommends and recommend, apt recommends is a package, and it's also now available by default for newly installed packages. It's not installed by default for upgrades, but for in new installed packages, it does get included. And there's also some interesting news related to upgrading, because one of the biggest things that Linux Mint has always had was when you did an upgrade from the big version to the next big version, they didn't really have a good upgrade path. They're saying that in July this month, they're going to be releasing uh, some instructions and in, in installation process for making it possible to do an upgrade from 19.3 to Linux Mint 20, which is really cool because previously that was not possible. You just had to do a fresh install every single time. So... Uh, I'm not sure how what their process is yet because they haven't released that information at the moment, but hopefully it will be a lot simpler than the previous things that you had to do, which was like going through weird scripting structure and whatnot. So hopefully they do that, improve that part. Uh, there's also some interesting things related to things that are not involved in this version. For example, they have dropped 32-bit. Uh, this is probably because they, Ubuntu, they're using Ubuntu's packages for most of everything, and that's likely why they weren't doing it, because Ubuntu decided to drop the 32-bit and... Uh, 1810 is when they decided to drop it. Actually, I think Ubuntu dropped it way before that, but the whole uh, ecosystem of Ubuntu dropped it in around 1810. And there's also no native support for ZFS, even though Ubuntu comes with that by default. Uh, well, not it's not exactly by default, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, they've also done some stuff like um, they've upgraded the kernel to Linux 5.4, which is cool. Except it's a it's a it's an sort of a outdated version of the kernel. And there's an argument between whether to use the LTS kernel or whether to use the up-to-date kernel. Uh, that's, you know, preference of the user. But um, the 5.4 kernel is the LTS kernel that is available. And this is the kernel that Ubuntu uses. Uh, the Linux Mint 20 release will be available for support until 2025, which is also because of the uh, support that Ubuntu uses, which is also 2025. Uh, the only thing that I, I talked about this in another video that Linux Mint decided to disable SnapD by default and apt packages are not allowed to install it. And normally you could say that that's, I'm not going to go into it. I made a video about Mint, Linux Mint versus Snaps, but I will make a quick point about this because 
it's one thing to disable the app packages from installing snap snaps and snapd stuff it's a whole other thing for stopping apt itself manually installing trying to install apt doing apt install snapd is also blocked which is a little bit weird and I know, and I had conversations with people in the comments on that other video saying like, but they made it possible to do like, yeah, so what you, you just because, you know, it's it, just because you can climb the wall doesn't mean they didn't put a wall in front of you. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny, but, uh, most of which of Linux fit 20 is really interesting. And I think that cinnamon is a much, a much improved DE. And I like the fact that they're doing performance improvements as well. So good job on that. I definitely don't agree with this, this way that they handle snaps. Also, the fact that they say things that are not true about snaps, but that's a whole other topic. And if you want to learn more about that, check out the Linux Mint versus Snaps video that I made where I basically cover every aspect of that topic. So yeah, check that out. I have a link in the show notes for that. Up next in the show is the latest release of OpenSUSE Leap. 15.2. So OpenSUSE Leap is the LTS edition of the OpenSUSE project. They also have the Tumbleweed edition, which is the rolling release version. And this is essentially moving stuff from Tumbleweed to Leap for improvements on the LTS side. So they actually call this a minor release. Uh, they do minor releases once, roughly once a year. However, a minor release in this case means that it is just in like classification. It doesn't. It also, but they're also doing a lot of improvements and a lot of changes. So it's not like they're using the term minor, implying that it's not a major release because a major release from six, fifteen to sixteen would be like a huge change. And this is still a significant change, but it's just classified as minor. Hope that makes sense. Anyway, in this release, they've added some improvements to a variety of different bug fixes and overall just performance, but they've also added artificial intelligence stuff, uh, frameworks, machine learning packages, deep learning technologies, and a bunch of other stuff like security updates, bug fixes, network enhancements, that sort of thing. So Marco Varlis, from the, he's a developer from, for OpenSUSE, and he says that Leap 15.2 represents a huge step forward in the artificial intelligence space. He says that I am super excited that OpenSUSE end users now can officially, uh, finally consume machine learning and deep learning frameworks and applications via our repositories to enjoy a stable and up-to-date ecosystem. So like I said, there's been a lot of stuff that's added in the artificial intelligence and the machine learning stuff is really interesting. And there's been a lot of packages cre added to this particular re release for those. So we're going to cover those just real quick. So first of all, they've added TensorFlow, which is a framework for deep learning that can be used by data scientists. They've added PyTorch, which is machine learning framework that accelerates the path from research prototyping to production deployment. They've added Onyx. I don't know if you're supposed to say Onyx like that, but it's O-N-N-X. This is an open format built to represent machine learning models, provides interoperability in the AI tool space. They've also added Grafana and Prometheus, which both are tools for creating interactive visual analytics from lots of raw data. And they've also done some container stuff through Kubernetes. So Kubernetes is now an official package in OpenSUSE Leap. This is for automated deployment, scaling, and managing of containerized applications. They've also added Helm, which is a package manager for Kubernetes. It allows you to define installs and uh, upgrades Kubernetes applications. Uh, Cilium, which is, uh, gives you the options for securing network connectivity and load balancing between application containers and services. 
that are using container frameworks like Kubernetes or Docker. For even if you, can, you don't have to use, use Kubernetes, you can use Docker as well with this. And there's been a bunch of other things. They've also done some improvements to uh, the installer for OpenSUSE, making it possible to you know tweak the mitigations for CPU-based attacks like Spectre and Meltdown, which is interesting because I'm not sure of any other distro that allows you to control that stuff. But it's pretty cool. They've also added some un- unintended installations through AutoYast, which has been greatly approved, and that's that's improved, which is really cool because AutoYast is a really cool uh, feature of Yast that for the installer of OpenSUSE. They have this open QA uh, thing for OpenSUSE that allows you to like see test and real time test of really quick automated testing for installations and you can go from the you can like look at different examples of when OpenSUSE has been tested and you can see that they have like a video of the entire process through Auto AutoYast where they basically install the system, do a bunch of tests, boot the DE, do some more configuration tests and all kinds of stuff and you can watch the video version of it through this Yast system and it's pretty cool. OpenQA is really really cool and AutoYast makes OpenQA possible. You can now create and manage ButterFS file systems that expands over several devices. This is pretty interesting. They've added more advanced encryption technologies. They've also made it, uh, improvements for the split system configuration between Etsy or user Etsy and Etsy directories. So Yast supports this new structure in all the affected modules, offering the system administrators a central point to inspect the configuration that will help them during the transition of migration for Yast stuff. And there's been a lot of other stuff like core component improvements and a variety of things. But one, the last thing I want to talk about is the real-time Linux kernel that is in, being added to OpenSUSE. And, they, and this is allowing you to have like control over the timing of the events for microprocessors and how like kind of like to for efficiency of that kind of stuff. And Gerald Pfeiffer, the chair of the project for OpenSUSE, he says that addition of the real-time kernel to OpenSUSE Leap unlocks new possibilities. Think like edge computing, embedded devices, data capturing, all of which are seeing immense growth. So this is pretty interesting. I'll have a link to the rest of the information about the release notes for 15.2 if you'd like to learn more in the show notes below. I think OpenSUSE has a ton of potential, and if you've never tried it before, you might want to check it out. It does need a little bit of polish in general for the like the general day-to-day daily driver, but as far as like technology, it is incredibly impressive. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, check out OpenSUSE Leap 15.2, link in the show notes. Up next in the show is a really interesting Kickstarter that's going on right now. This is for the Cutie Pie, which is a Raspberry Pi-based tablet. And this is really interesting. Uh, it's actually already been completely funded and also overfunded because it's like over 200% of the project has been funded. They've actually met four of the five stretch goals that they have set. So maybe they'll even set, create more stretch goals. I don't know. But they've already met four of, 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 the, of the five and we haven't even talked about like anything about it yet. So they have 40 days left to actually get to the, continue doing the Kickstarter. So... Maybe they'll get all five and maybe they'll add more. I don't know, but this is really cool. So they say that everything from the hardware design, firmware enclosure, and all the way to the user interface is open source. So that it uses the Raspberry Pi OS with the Cutie Pie shell sitting on top, which creates a tablet UI experience. This is using a, the Qt framework, Qt framework, 
uh, turns the OS into a seamless tablet experience, they say. And they also have a thing called the Sidekick mode, which is pretty interesting because the Sidekick mode transforms the tablet into a virtual keyboard and a trackpad when it's connected to an external monitor. It also has split-screen support, and it also has the battery that they say that the battery lasts up to five hours when it's set to 50% brightness. They have the ability to do orientation locking on the tablet, and they've had some stuff like a slide-out menu for switching between applications and launching a terminal, which is pretty nice and convenient for a tablet. Uh, it has, they say it has support for pinch and zoom and flick gestures. And one of the things that they wanted to do in regards to one of the stretch goals is that they wanted to do ports for Ubuntu, Ubuntu Core, and Lineage OS. And they say that this stretch goal has already been met, so that's awesome. Uh, as far as the hardware goes, let's talk about that. So this is a, the motherboard is a CM3 slash CM3 plus compatible that has uses the Raspberry Pi Compute Module 3 plus. Uh, this is one gig of RAM. It is uh, it has a sleep wake button, which is pretty interesting. It has support with a gyroscope, and it also has built-in speakers. And it also it has a eight inch IPS LCD five point multi touch display a 5,000 milliamp hour battery. It has support for Bluetooth 4.0, wireless 802.11 BG and N. It has one USB type A, which is the normal USB that you, you know, the rectangle you're used to seeing, and also USB type C support. Uh, It has USB type C charging, in fact, as well. It has a micro HDMI slot, a micro SD slot, and it even has a five megapixel camera. So this is pretty interesting. The price on the Kickstarter is currently set at $189 for the pre-order. If you want to get just the carrier board, you can spend $89. I'm not sure why you would want that unless you want to do like developer stuff, but there you go. Uh, and they've also say that the retail price will is planned to be $229, so you're getting a discount if you do the pre-order on the Kickstarter. They say that the estimated shipping time will be November 2020. And so if you wanted to check it out, that's not that long from now, so that's pretty cool. Uh, usually when you see Kickstarters, they announce something, and then it's like a year or two years or whenever it, when it finally happens. Like, for example, the uh, Purism Librem 5 Kickstarter was in 2017, and we're still waiting for that to exist. I mean, yeah, they've made developer prototypes and stuff, but, like, we're still waiting. So, yeah, anyway, <laughs> this is really cool that the wait is only a couple months. So I'm excited for that. And I've actually seen the Cutie Pie for a while, and I signed up for their notifications of like what they're doing with it. So I am uh, I'm fa- fairly familiar with what they're doing, and I am super excited about it because it does seem quite interesting, especially when they're doing their own shell on top of the Raspberry Pi OS, and they're using Cute because I'm a big fan of Cute and all that stuff. So if you're interested in checking out the Cutie Pie, the Kickstarter is live right now. I'll have a link to the Cutie Pie website as well as the Kickstarter in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some really cool news from the XDA developers team because they are making it possible to install Ubuntu Touch on any Project Treble supported device. So the problem with Ubuntu Touch on various devices has always been the fact that the majority of Android devices are not using a mainline Linux kernel, which prevents flashing a generic ARM Linux distribution on those devices. So UbiPort's community, which makes Ubuntu Touch, is using device-specific patches from the mainline Linux kernel to get Linux on these phones. But they only support a few devices in terms of like flagships. I think they have like maybe three or four 
And but they also have a lot of uh, community experimental type pack, uh, f- phones that are being worked on. But for the most part, it's just those three or four that are really like uh, fully compatible, like the One Plus One and the Nexus Five and stuff like that, and the Fairphone. But uh, this is where the Google's Project Treble comes in because uh, the XDA developers have, or specifically XDA recognized developer Erfanobi, Erfanobidi. I'm, I have no idea. It's E R F A N O A B D I. Very hard to to say that one. And this person has created a made it possible for compatible Android devices that can boot an uh, OSP generic system image to use a platform agnostic Ubuntu Touch image that can be installed on any Project Treble compliant device, which is really awesome. This is also the same person who's made it possible to port Ubuntu Touch to other devices like the Xiaomi Redmi, Redmi uh, Note 9, Note 7, sorry, Note 7. And uh, the current GSI for the Ubuntu Touch GSI is based on Ubuntu 16.04. Uh, it's, it's, they say that it's almost daily driver material. You can send, receive calls, connect your Bluetooth peripherals, utilize the GPS, run Android apps using the built-in and box environment, and a bunch of other stuff. So this is really, really interesting because being able to use a lot more devices through the Project Treble thing is really, really cool. Like, this opens up the support for devices to a ridiculous amount, which is awesome. So, really awesome work. Erfanobidi. Er, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but anyway, so this that he says in the installation process, it says that your device is probably compatible with Ubuntu Touch GSI through this. The underlying vendor interface of this GSI is tested against Android 9 Pi based firmware, but the GSI might work on older Android 8.0 and 8.1 images as well. The stock kernel needs to be patched with Project Halium to make it compatible. And there's, there's no way to patch the existing boot image of your Android device on the fly. This can be a bit complicated, so they don't suggest doing that. You can either build Halium boot from source or compile a standalone modern, modified version of your stock kernel by manually applying the ap- appropriate patches on top of the kernel source. So this is not meant for you know anybody to set up and, and run, but it is definitely really cool because it makes it possible to put on a lot more devices. They say that Ubuntu Touch GSI can be installed just like any other OS, Android GSI once this patching is complete. The flashing process formats your data partition, so make sure you do a backup, which is very, very important. Always make, a, you make sure you do a backup when you do any kind of flashing because flashing essentially just destroys anything that's on it and puts the new stuff on there. So keep that in mind if you do flashing for anything, really. But I think this is really awesome because there is a lot of potential for this, making it possible to have a lot more support for Ubuntu Touch and getting people a lot more people being able to use Ubuntu Touch on their devices is fantastic. So awesome work to the X- XDA developers, specifically Erfanobdi. I have no idea I'm supposed to say that. <laughs> but anyway, if you want to learn more about the Ubuntu or the UbiPorts GSI. You can find a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some really interesting news related to a rolling release for Ubuntu. So this is called the Rolling Rhino. It is created by Martin Wimpress, who's the Ubuntu desktop lead. And this is a a project, which is a a simple shell script that makes it possible to essentially convert the daily build images 
into a rolling release, which allows you to track uh, developer series changes and packages, updates, and stuff like that. So Martin said that rolling Rhino is intended for Ubuntu developers and experienced Ubuntu users who want to install Ubuntu once and then track all the development updates with automatic tracking of subsequent series. So this is really interesting because this is actually based on a thing that they that they talked about on an episode of Ubuntu podcast. So Martin says in the announcement for this new project, he says, and I quote, Ubuntu podcast had feedback about making Ubuntu a rolling release, something we discussed during the main segment of 13, episode, thir- episode 12 of season 13, Red Sky in the Morning, and then covered again based on listener feedback during episode 14 of season 13 called Ace of Spades. And during that episode of, of episode 14, the guest presenter Stuart Language proposed Ubuntu, Ubuntu Rolling Rhino as the name for the rolling Ubuntu release, along with some ideas of how it could be implemented. Sergio, uh, I'm totally going to say that wrong, so I'm just going to skip it. Sergio made a comment on Twitter reminding them that the development series exists in Ubuntu, and this inspired Martin to create this rolling Rhino tool, and they say that it was somewhat to implement Stewart's idea by taking advantage of the developer series. So there are a couple drawbacks with it. You know, it doesn't be able to, it's not able to do everything. For example, it doesn't detect PPAs or desktop meta packages. You'll need to migrate your PPAs manually, or the best option would be to create a a new installation of Ubuntu using the latest versions of the daily builds. This is really what's suggested, is that if you want to do this, it's better to install fresh a new version of Ubuntu on one of the daily builds and then install the Rolling Rhino script, which then it could start, you know, you wouldn't have to worry about making sure it detects PPAs and everything because you wouldn't have to worry about having it already there. You could just add it on top of the fact. So, uh, but there are also some issues of like the PPAs, you're kind of limited to what PPAs can do because some PPAs don't follow the latest editions of, of, of Ubuntu. They don't track the latest version. So even in some cases, you'd want some packages that are not, that are not available in certain releases before the release comes out. So it could be an issue there too. But since PPAs are not being used that much anymore anyway, it might not be a big deal at this point. It doesn't have a GUI. There's another thing that's a kind of drawback. So if you're not comfortable with the command line, this is not something you'd want to do. Also, if you're not comfortable with the command line anyway, it's not really something that you should do anyway because it is it is using developer series. So it's not a stable release kind of thing. It's more of a rolling release and get to play with everything as fast as possible. So that's sort of what it is. So it's not meant for uh, everybody anyway. But what's really cool is that it supports all of the official flavors. It's not just Ubuntu desktop. You can actually use it with Kubuntu, Lubuntu, Zubuntu, Ubuntu Mate, Ubuntu Budgie, Ubuntu Studio, and Ubuntu Chillin? Kylin? Still have no idea how to say that one, but you can also do it with that. Uh, so it only works with the, it doesn't work with LTS versions. You have to get the daily ISO for the current release uh, that's coming out for 2010. So you get the daily ISOs for that, and then you activate the script on that to convert it into a rolling release. And you can try out this rolling Rhino version of Ubuntu. I don't really understand the naming for the thing, but very awesome that they're creating a rolling release version edition sort of thing for people who want to play with that sort of stuff. I I, I think that it's not necessarily, because one of the things in the episode that they talked about was related to um, what's the best solution to getting 
you know, people asking for rolling releases and the reason they're asking for rolling releases, but it's exclusively for hardware support for people. And I don't even think rolling releases is the answer, you know? Rolling release is cool, and it's cool that you can do that, so it's really cool they did this. But I think the real answer to the problem is just making the hardware enablement stack up to date faster. So right now it's maybe three months, but more likely six months wait period between updates for hardware enablement. So if you get a, a new piece of hardware and it's not supported in the latest version of Ubuntu, you have to wait six months before it is. Well, provide depending on when you get it, of course. But if you got it the day of the latest release and you tried to install the latest release, you, likely you wouldn't have that ability to do that for another six months because they don't have the updates for the, that kernel driver or those Mesa drivers and that kind of thing. So the hardware enablement stack is something that allows you to have support in LTS version that still has the ability to update the kernel and the Mesa drivers and all that stuff. However, the problem here is that the hardware enablement stack updates kind of slowly in terms of what it's for. So if that was faster, I think that would be the ideal solution. You'd have the stability of the LTS while also getting the updates for the hardware, which is the most important piece because it's not necessarily hardware support for the latest and greatest hardware. There are also a lot of other pieces of hardware that are added, even like uh, mice and keyboard support and variety of different peripherals are added all the time in the kernel. So that's kind of the issue. It's not necessarily that the LTS is too old or that kind of thing. So it, like some people are like, well, if I want stability, I use the LTS. The idea is that the really the ideal solution is that you'd have the LTS stability with updated kernels faster. So you could have support for that hardware faster. And because if you can't boot the machine with the software, it's it doesn't very it doesn't look very good for Linux in general or Ubuntu in general or whatever. So I think this is cool. The rolling rhino rolling release thing is very cool for those who want to try out a rolling version of Ubuntu. But the real solution that I hope they do at some point is to increase the speed of the hardware enablement stack support. So there's that. If you'd like to check out the Rolling Rhino project, I'll have a link to the GitHub page in the show notes below. So let's move on to the housekeeping section. So if you're listening to the show via the MP3 podcast feed, thank you very much. Uh, but I want to let you know two things. First of all, there is a video version of this show that shows things that I'm talking about as well as has me on the video. I'm not sure if that's a positive thing or a negative thing, but it is a thing in general. So there's that. And number two, I wanted to let you know that I've started making a lot more content on the YouTube channel. So if you were not aware of that already, then you should definitely check out the latest videos. So I think you will be very interested to these videos because these videos are, uh, first of all, we have Linux Mint versus Snaps video I made. And we talked about that in the Linux Mint 20 section, but it's a lot more in-depth on that one. It's uh, very, very in-depth, maybe too in-depth. Actually, let me know if you think it's too in-depth. Let me know about that. And a, there's also a video that I used created was a clip from Destination Linux podcast related to the interesting observation we made about uh, Windows users not being willing to blame Windows for its own faults. And I think those videos are really cool that you should check them out. And there's a lot more coming on the channel. So if you haven't subscribed already, you should definitely do that because there's a lot of cool stuff in that channel. And there's a lot more coming very soon. 
And if you'd like to help me make this show possible, then you can consider becoming a patron of Tux Digital. By becoming a patron, you're directly helping me finance the creation of this show and all of the other content on the channel. You can get also get some special rewards like joining me in a patron live chat. Also, you can join me for a variety of different things like I even have pont- uh, content polls. So if you want to help me decide what content is coming out in the, in the channel, you can do that as well by becoming a patron on Sponsors or Patreon. And I'd like to thank all the 85 patrons of Tux Digital right now because I, it's so awesome that you're helping me. And it's, it is, it's amazing to know that 85 people think that my content deserves to be made and they're willing to help me create it. So thank you very, very much for helping me make this content. I can't thank you enough, even though I will continue to try every episode because that is how much it means to me. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, if you didn't hear, there is a really cool new podcast on the Destination Linux Network called The Pseudo Show. It is a very, very cool show that's about the enterprise open source technology space. And how about I just let them explain it to you? Hey there, and welcome to The Pseudo Show, a podcast produced by the Destination Linux Network. I'm Eric, the IT guy. And I'm Brandon Johnson. Over the course of this show, we'll cover topics ranging from enterprise open source to cloud management. But we are not just going to talk about the technology. We'll talk about methodologies like DevOps and how to change your team and company cultures to build and grow your people. Need to get more done? Join us as we share our years of experience working from home, including our tips and tricks for better productivity. You can catch all that and more every other Thursday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us today on Twitter at Podcast and connect to the entire network at DestinationLinux.network. See you soon. And finally, in housekeeping this week, have you heard of FrontPage Linux? Well, if you haven't heard of FrontPageLinux.com, you should totally check it out because it is an awesome, great new website that we at the Destination Linux Network have launched to provide news stories, articles, tutorials, videos, and so much more. So FrontPageLinux.com is an awesome website because not only because it's got a lot of great content, but it also anyone can submit content to it and perhaps have it featured on the website. It's like a news tutorial article site with the open source philosophy integrated into it. So if you want to publish something on it, all you have to do is submit that content to us and then we'll review it to see if we can put it on the site. So many cool people from the community have started submitting from to front page Linux. Like for example, Eric Londo's Linux plus plus web magazine is a featured article section on the front page Linux website. So you can check that out. It's really, really cool. Also Mario Gaspari has added some, has published some great Linux audio articles about how to easily install Jack audio and what you can do with pulse audio with pulse effects. We also have another article that is actually a video that has been submitted by Ryan Walter, which is a video tutorial showing you how to set up a website for free using Hugo Static Site Generator and GitLab and a bunch of other content that is just is just filled with content on FrontPage Linux. So go check it out, frontpagelinux.com, to check out all the awesome stuff and maybe even contribute stuff of your own if you'd like to. So up next in the show is Riot.im. There is a name name change coming for it pretty soon, which is good in my opinion. We'll get to that. So a couple of episodes ago of Destination Linux, Noah embraced the Matrix protocol and the Riot client in a big way. He talked about it using for the Southeast Linux Fest or Self Virtual Conference, 
and was a big fan of the experience he had with it. And on episode 180 of Destination Linux, which was just released, check that out if you haven't already, we, we discuss Matrix Riot in a much deeper way, and we talk about the pros and cons of Matrix and Riot, and you should definitely check out the that episode of Destination Linux podcast, and also check out the YouTube channel for that so to find out more content. Uh, I'll, I'll also have links in the description for those if you're interested. Uh, episode 180 is already out, so definitely check that out. But one of the cons we discussed in that episode is that the name Riot is pretty weird. So this is a, the user client for Matrix. Uh, I pointed out that I was not a fan of this name at all, but I'm but I'm actually very glad that to, te- to tell you that they've decided to change the name of the client. And the reason they decided to change it, and also the reason they decided to use it in the first place, is kind of interesting to me, so... Let's talk about that. So here's quotes from this blog post. They say that uh, the biggest issue they've had so far, or by far, has been from a certain large games companies that have consistently blocked us from being able to trademark Riot or even Riot.im, which has been a huge issue when it comes to defending users against abusive forks of the app. We're in a terrible position if, if someone forks Riot using the same name or similar name and logo and makes some dubious changes and we can't take any action to persuade the app stores to remove it because they don't have trademarks and that kind of thing. Um, that's true, but that's not the biggest issue. Uh, they, we'll get to that in a second. They say that we pick the name Riot to invoke something disruptive and vibrant, like a riot of color. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Anyway, they say that there's a reason the loading animation on the mobile apps have been of the logo running Riot through completely different versions of the logo. However, many people hear the word Riot and assume that the app is focused on violence, which is not. Well, there's a reason that they have that idea because the word Riot is... A, yes, it's disruptive, yes, but also typically violent because that's what a Riot is. So, maybe not the best name for an application that is about communication at, in any way whatsoever. And also, whatever vibrant riot of color means, no. That's not a thing no one would ever think of that. I don't... No. <laughs> no. Anyway, they haven't said what the new name for the app is, but I'm really happy they're making a new thing. And what's more important is that they're talking about taking... The other stuff that they did, because they also have what's really confusing to me about Matrix, and this is one of the reasons that I talked about in the Destination Linux episode, is that they have so many different names for different pieces of the whole thing. So, for example, Matrix is the protocol. Riot is the user app. New Vector is the client or the company that makes these things. And then there's also the modular thing. I forgot what it's called. Modular something. There's so many names. Also, Synapse is the name of the server. There are so many different brand names for this thing that there's really no value in this. So you shouldn't have brand comp- uh, competition between yourselves. That's really what they were doing. They talked about that they're going to be renaming New Vector and the Modular and Riot, which is awesome, but they need to rename everything that is user-facing. So that way you can promote a single thing to users rather than the problematic aspect of trying to tell people to join Matrix, but then they have to get the Riot client or they have to get the desktop clients for insert random names or whatever. 
And, you know, there's this huge competition between just on its own platform. So you, you, and you're competing on your own platform. You're making it very confusing for people to promote that platform. For example, if I want to have to tell people to try Telegram, I just tell them to try Telegram. We're completely done. They go to the App Store. They go to the Play Store. They go to the website or whatever they want to download for their their desktop, and it's just called Telegram. You know, it's that's what it should be. A single application name, men be done. Now, in terms of what the Matrix Riot thing is, you have the application that people use, but also you have the server stuff. So I would suggest that you call it insert name, server, insert name, protocol, or whatever. Like how Firefox is now calling like Firefox, uh, uh, they have the Firefox itself, but they also have Firefox Send, and they have Firefox Lockwise, and they have a bunch of other stuff, but it's Firefox something because it has the brand attached. This is what you should do with your renaming. I'm not sure if that's, they talked about that's what they're kind of doing, but hopefully they do it like all encompassing because it really needs it to be done that way. Because me trying to, like, I'm also a marketer and I have a hard time explaining to people exactly what they should be using because when you go to matrix.org, you still have to find a client and then you go to Riot you need an account on matrix.org, so you have to do both, and it's just confusing. So if you make it a lot less confusing, that would be awesome. So they are talking about doing this, which is awesome, but hopefully they go all out and make it a lot more concise and, you know, just a simpler process. Anyway, I'm really happy that Riot's doing this, and if you'd like to learn more, I'll have a link to the blog post that they talk about it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is a really cool application called Planner. So this is a task manager that has support for the Todoist service, and it's also a very nicely designed task manager. So well done to them on that. They have a bunch of features, including reminder notifications, quick find support. It has a night mode, so you can have it changed based on you know time of the day. It has a dark theme from the night night mode. It also has recurring due dates and drag and drop ordering. And thanks to this uh, really cool uh, structure of having a uh, section system that you can have different projects and different sections, and you can even do a progress indication through each project, which is really cool because it allows you to put create projects and put tasks in it, and the more tasks you, you mark off shows you the progress of that project, which is very cool. It's a, it's a nicely designed application. And the support for Todoist is also really interesting because it allows you to synchronize your projects, your tasks, your sections, and all of that through Todoist. It also has even support for Todoist offline, so you can work without an internet connection. And when you actually connect, reconnect it to things, it will automatically sync everything. So it's pretty cool. Now, I wish I could have Planner integrated in other things so I didn't have to use Todoist. Like, it's really cool that you can for those who want to use Todoist, but I'd rather self-host my my to-dos. If I could integrate Todoist, or no, sorry, if I could integrate Planner into something like Nextcloud, that would be amazing, and I would absolutely love to do that. So if you're listening, developers of Planner, think about that, because that would be awesome. But anyway, Planner it's a really nice looking task manager, and if you are a user of Todoist, you should definitely check it out because it is a very nice interface for using Todoist on the Linux platform. So, link in the show notes. 
Well, next to the show is some confusing news, and that is Microsoft Defender ATP is available for Linux. So Defender Advanced Threat Protection, or ATP, for server suites is being ported to Linux. So Microsoft's representative Helen Alice, I think, said that adding Linux into the existing selection of natively supported platforms by Microsoft Defender ATP marks an important moment for all customers. It makes a Microsoft Defender Security Center a truly unified surface for monitoring and managing security of the full spectrum of desktop and server platforms that are across common enterprise environments, Windows, Windows Server, Mac OS, and Linux. So... They say that it supports directly with Red Hat Enterprise Linux, or RHEL, CentOS, Ubuntu, SUSE Linux Enterprise Server, or SLE, Debian, Oracle Linux, and I think that's it. They also said that they're going to be adding some more in the future, but for now, those are the ones. So they also added support for uh, macOS last year, and Microsoft announced that it plans to bring it to Android devices as well. They say that for the Android version, it will offer protection against phishing and unsafe network connections from apps, websites, and malicious applications. So, interesting. They say what it does is that it scans for malware. It scans. It also has basic information on what, it's pos- what possible threats were found and removed, can be controlled through the Microsoft Defender Security Center, and allow security teams using Microsoft Defender ATP already to tie their Linux servers in with their Windows servers as a central hub instead of needing two separate solutions. So this is interesting. Uh, One of the things is that Microsoft thinks Linux needs an antivirus, which is not really true. I mean, it's not necessarily saying that Linux is invulnerable or anything. It's just that Linux, the way that Linux works is vastly different than the way Windows works. So viruses are not that big of an issue. And if you do get a virus in Linux, more than likely if you install a virus software, well, technically if you download virus software, you have to manually give it permission to install, manually give it permission to do anything. So it's a lot different. Whereas you install, if you download virus software in Windows, there's a possibility that you're going to install some stuff automatically just by like drive-by stuff the way that Windows works. But... Linux doesn't have that problem, so it's not that big of an issue. So that's why most people who are Linux enthusiasts typically say that you don't need an antivirus on Linux. But Microsoft thinks you do, and that's interesting. So I'm not really sure what Microsoft is search what the Microsoft Defender ATP for Linux is actually scanning for. Is it scanning for Windows-based viruses or Linux-based viruses? Because there are not that many Linux viruses anyway, so I'm not really sure exactly what they're doing there, but it's pretty interesting. So if for some reason you need an antivirus, there's also Clam AV and Clam TK, so you probably don't need to use this one. But if for some reason you do, like having Windows servers, there you go. It exists now apparently. So anyway, Microsoft's Helen Alice representative also continued to say, we are just at the beginning of our Linux journey and we're not stopping here. We are committed to continuous expansion of our capabilities for Linux and will be bringing you enhancements in the coming months. We can't wait for you to become part of our Linux journey and try out new capabilities as they become available. Okay, so if you want to try out the new capabilities as they become available, then check out the link in the show notes below. Next in the show is an interesting 
topic because this is a topic about the latest release or news from Apple about Apple Silicon replacing Intel and whether or not it'll be possible to boot Linux on it. So this is mostly just rumors, so keep that in mind. And the reason why it's rumors a lot because the, I mean, Apple is contradicting themselves. One person from Apple said one thing and another person from Apple said a different thing, which contradicts each other. So I don't know. I'm really putting it on the show so people who are more skilled in this kind of topic could research it and find out more. And also, if it's possible for it to let people know that it, if they are you know, people who can create and write support, uh, maybe it's possible. That kind of thing. So I don't know, but we'll see in the future, I guess. But here's the details. So Craig Federighi, totally that's wrong. I don't know how to say that name. Apple's senior vice president of software engineering said, we're not direct booting an alternate operating system. Purely virtualization is the route. So there's not going to be a boot camp support, uh, but that's really Windows support anyway. So that's all boot camp ever did. It didn't really help boot or install Linux. That was done through like manual disk partitioning and stuff like that on a Mac. So that wouldn't really relate it anyway, but they did specify boot camp anyway. So the bootloader will presumably be locked down, though, leading speculation that Linux will only be runnable in a VM inside of the Mac OS host. But the interesting part is that someone else from Apple in a WWDC session said Macs will introduce a new system for accessing Mac OS recovery and security options at startup, which will introduce a reduced security mode that allows booting of older versions of Mac OS and even versions that are no longer signed by Apple. Now, I'm not sure really what this means exactly, but it sounds like it might be possible to then allow it to boot Linux through this reduced security mode. So I'm not sure, but I think there's a possibility that this might contradict the other thing that the Apple senior vice president of software engineering said. But again, I don't know. And if you know more about this, please let me know in the comments below or on the Destination Linux forum and because I'd be very interested to know if it is possible to run it on there because that would be pretty interesting in terms of like the support they're going to be doing for making people support ARM or the ARM architecture because they're, you know, they're making all this changes. They're forcing the comp companies to rewrite code for a completely different architecture. So pretty interesting to see what happens. And if you find out more about this topic, please let me know again in the comments or in the Destination Linux Network forum. And yeah, links in the show notes. And finally this week, we're going to talk about some news in the affiliates links that help this show news section. Specifically Humble Bundles this time. And for those who are not familiar, this is a section that I added to tell you about cool things that are not necessarily Linux related, though kind of are, but also have affiliate links attached to them because if you would like to use any or purchase any of these things, if you use these links in the show notes in the description, it will help this show because a small percentage of the purchase will be going to the show and it'd be very, very helpful if you were willing to do that. So that's why this section exists and let's get to it. So Humble Bundles, first of all, we have a bunch of these. We have four bundles to talk about. First of all, we have software bundle called Learn Python Programming with PyCharm. Everything you need to learn Python programming and make it stick. Get learning materials like PyCharm six-month subscription, Python, uh, Python for Data Scientists course, uh, Effective Pandas, which is an interesting term, but it's related to being able to manipulate structured data with Python, data-driven web apps with Flask and SQL Alchemy, which is a fun name, 
Uh, you get uh, up to 25 weeks of Python morsels ex exercises, Python for absolute beginners, Python tricks videos, uh, object-oriented Python books, and much, much more. So if you're interested in that, you'll find a link, an affiliate link, below in the show notes and in the description for this video. Uh, one, there's actually quite a few things. There's some things in here that are, you basically you pay $25 to get the whole bundle, and there's stuff in here that they say are worth like over $100 by itself. So it looks pretty interesting, and I am definitely very interested to check it out. So uh, if you're wanting to learn Python, this looks like a pretty good bundle to do it. Again, affiliate links below. Uh, next, we're going to talk about the books Secure Your Stuff by A-Press. It says, get book, get ebooks like Securing Office 365, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, well, not with that attitude, Practical Cyber Forensics, Cybersecurity for Space, Personal Cybersecurity, and Open Source Intelligent Methods and Tools. Plus, your purchase will also support uh, some, some charity stuff, which is awesome. And there's also uh, Books, Circuits, and Electronics by Morgan and Claypool. These are very long names. Uh, get ebooks like Arduino One, Getting Started, Understanding Circuits, Learning Problem Solving Using Circuit Analysis, and Engineering Principles in Everyday Life for Non-Engineers. There's also another book bundle for filmmakers, which is pretty cool. It's called Become a Filmmaker. It says, Learn how to become a filmmaker with this book bundle from Focal Press. Get filmmaking ebooks like Make Your Movie, Rate, Rate, Rain Dance Producers Lab, Low to No Budget Filmmaking, Screenwriting Fundamentals, The Insider's Guide to Independent Film Distribution, and more. So if you want to check out any of these books for cybersecurity, uh, electronics things like Arduinos and all kinds of stuff. Uh, also, the Becoming a Filmmaker uh, book bundle is really cool. I'm, I'm interested in that quite a bit. Uh, and also the Python programming uh, software bundle is very interesting to me. So I am going to check that out for sure. And if you'd like to check out any of these, I'll have links to all four in the show notes and the description. And again, they will be affiliate links. So if you do decide to purchase any of these, please use those links below because they would be very helpful to me. And if you're interested in checking out any of the other bundles in this current batch of bundles, there's actually nine bundles at the moment. I'll have a link to all of those as well, just because. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, links in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here in the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have many ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, and sponsors. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And of course, there are some perks if you become a patron on sponsors or Patreon, so be sure to check those out. And if you'd like to, you can also order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to destinationlinux.network slash store. There you will find the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt, which is a shirt I designed to have tux blended into the background to convey the message that whether or not you know that Linux is there, it probably is. So check that out at destinationlinux.network slash store. And we also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com affiliates. 
And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And we've been changing quite a bit on the latest episodes of DL, so if you haven't checked it out in a while, be sure to do that. And if you haven't checked it out at all, then you are missing out on an awesome podcast. So be sure to check that out. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux Good News.